and welcome to Buffalo Bread, your source for all of JJ and Dan's tears about the Bills' recent loss to New England Patriots. Uh, JJ, folks, is on IR this week dealing with a shoulder injury, uh, TBD on his timeline for return. So we are going to our, our guest pool, our friends of the pod, not friends of the Bills roster of potential guest hosts. And given that we are recapping the Patriots' Week 7 win against our beloved Buffalo Bills, we decided to bring in our uh, tried-and-true ally from the New England Patriots uh, fan base, one Brandon Bennett. Brandon, how you feeling today? I'm feeling pretty good. I uh, appreciate you having me back on the pod. I appreciate your humility and modesty in a moment where, I'm not going to lie, I would be dunking all over you right now. <laughs> um, so for those of you unfamiliar with Brandon, Brandon, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background as a Pats fan? Yeah. Uh, it all started in college. I was sort of late to the game when it came to football, um, and some buddies got me into it and then became a, a Patriots fans. Uh, 2007 versus the Giants put some money on that Super Bowl, and I think everybody kind of knows the result there, but that's where it all started back in uh, 2007. So it's fair to say that the the losing ways of your your favorite franchise over the past couple of seasons they're, they're sort of new to you. Would that be a fair assessment? You kind of came in as the Patriots were peaking. At, yes. Yeah, that's fair. But at this point, I think, uh, we've been bad for a couple of years at this point. So it's, and we're sort of settling into the post, you know, Brady Belichick domination era, um, and are eating our, our humble pie these days. Listen, as a Bills fan who was tortured by your your favorite franchise for 20 years, two years is not enough. But damn it, we couldn't get it done this week either. I have been, I joked at the beginning of this pod about drinking in the tears of JJ and I. I have to tell you, man, our text chain after this game was absolutely off the hook. We were calling for people to be fired, people to be benched, trade away all of our picks for some kind of defensive help. We were in a very emotional state, my friend. But now that we've had a little bit of time to process, I want to get to a far more rational and objective recap of, uh, of what was, I think, a, a sound victory for the New England Patriots. They did a lot of things schematically that I was impressed with, and Belichick did uh, what he never seems to do, which is makes a, change up the roster a little bit. He was sort of forced to with some of his game-time decisions with Juju Smith-Schuster being out. But playing Demario Douglas, I think, was a really great call. Added a speed element the teams had not had to game plan for um, against this New England Patriots team all season that uh, didn't produce a lot of film offensively for teams to be able to game plan for. And I think ultimately worked to great effect. The creativity they got Douglas involved with. And then, you know, Brandon, their game plan of uh, – taking advantage of the Buffalo Bills interior defensive line injuries and just smashing the ball up the middle of the field. In our pregame assessment, JJ and I said, if the Patriots win this game, it's because they're dominating on those gap scheme power runs that O'Brien likes to do. They're successfully running the ball and then they're opening up the middle of the field for Mac to dink and dunk his way to victory. And I think that was in point of fact, the game plan that the Patriots planned on rolling out and were very successful in doing so. Uh, Brandon, I'm sure there's a lot more positives that you can take from that game. So here's what I'd like to do. I would like to break down, given the, the unique formatting opportunity we have here, where normally it's both me and JJ lamenting on how the Bills could improve. 
I'm going to take the lamenting side. So I'm going to talk about exclusively three things I feel like cost the bills this game in this particular situation. And then on your side of things, I think it'd be great for people to hear from uh, the opposing viewpoint. So what are some things you think the Patriots did that really cemented this victory for them? So why don't we start with one of your first items, Brandon? What, in your estimation, helped lead your beloved New England Patriots to a victory over the hated Buffalo Bills? <laughs> um, I, I don't hate you. Um, I respect you. And um, Thank you. Yeah, I, of course. I, I, too, find you to be a wonderful friend. <laughs> I've said it a multitude of times. The only thing that is imperfect about you is your sports allegiances. That's it. <laughs> Otherwise, you're an A-plus human being. I appreciate that. Um, all right. So what led the Patriots to success in week seven? Um, so Belichick talked uh, last week after the loss about starting over. Um, and I think that the team overall um, sort of went into this Bills matchup with that mentality. Um, we saw more shifting in the offensive line. They just haven't been able to figure out the, um, the lineup that makes the most sense. And I think this past week was sort of getting it right for the first time this season. Mac had a lot of time to kind of go through his reads back in the pocket. And I know that, you know, part of that is due to um, injuries on your defensive side. But um, Mac really, I thought, did an uncharacteristically good job sort of going through his reads, getting the ball to his number one, which is Kendrick Bourne. And then, uh, like you already mentioned, sort of working Demario Douglas um, into the offense. I really like his sort of twitchy second gear speed that he has. And I think, you know, if we're to move forward in a positive way he's going to have to continue to be an essential um, part of the offense um last thing i would add is i think the um the rpos that they ran um, were pretty effective and, and i felt like the bills had a hard time responding to that i think it was i think the most uh rpos that they ran in a game so far this season um DeMario coming out of the backfield uh, a couple times was also uh, led to some big plays. So the other thing I'll say, last thing I'll say, last thing I'll say is that, you know, for for the Bills side of the ball, starting any game with an interception is really hard, right? Terrible. It, it's sort of, I mean, yeah, it's it, terrible. Um, I think about uh, last season and the Naheem Hines uh, kickoff return for a touchdown. Well, that's, that's, also, game. <laughs> that, that's also a terrible way to start a game. So, you know, and it's kind of hard to come back from that. So um, I think the uh, the interception um, didn't start things off really well for the Bills. And I think the Patriots capitalized on that and wanted to put points on early, which they haven't been able to do all season. So. Those are my thoughts. The Patriots were coming into this game averaging right around 11 points per game and had not gone above 28 points in a game since week six of last season. So basically in a full season of football, you guys hadn't put a 30-burger on anyone. And this year, you are averaging just above 10 points a game and you decide to lay 29 <laughs> on the Buffalo Bills in a quote-unquote reset game. Um, but it was a pretty dramatic turnaround. Um, I, I, I agree with you. And it, it, the reset thing that Belichick talked about, I think, is very pertinent to this conversation. 
because we saw them, I think, schematically do a lot of stuff that they've wanted to do all season, but they had not been able to find the right mix of personnel on the offensive side of the ball to do so. I think the biggest thing for them, outside of getting Douglas and Bourne, uh, giving them the starts at wide receiver, because they're, they're your two most dynamic weapons, is they finally found a combination of offensive linemen with all the injuries that you guys have dealt with this season that were going to allow them, albeit against effectively a second unit defensive line of the Buffalo Bills, but still a combination that was going to allow them to do what they want to do, which was establish the run early, suck in our very young and inexperienced linebacker core into more run protection, and open up those middle parts of the field for Mac Jones. I want to go through Mac Jones' stat line with you here because I think it's very, very telling. And I'm going to give Mac a compliment here early on because you had mentioned this in our, um, I had texted you um, after the game and your early on, I think, assessment was that Mac was just doing a really good job throwing into tight windows. And I'm like, you know, on the broadcast, I don't remember him doing a lot of that. So I went back and I rewatched some of the game and I looked at the stat package from uh, NFL Next Gen Stats. And sure enough, Mac was throwing into some very tight windows. He was trusting his guys to win their matchups, even in close coverage, uh, um, play after play. So his average time to throw here was 2.19 seconds, which I will tell you is absolute death for this Buffalo Bills unit. The pass rush wants to get to the QB. But because of some of the injuries and now the lack of depth on our interior defensive line, it just takes us more time to get to the QB. So coverage needs to hold up. But coverage isn't holding up because we don't have Matt Milano patrolling the middle of the field anymore. And we don't have Trey White locking down the opposing team's best wide receiver. So Mac was able to, albeit dink and dunk his way, make quick decisions. But he displayed a tremendous amount of trust in his wide receivers. And I think that has everything to do with this reset that Belichick talked about. I remember in the Matt Patricia era, you guys had such a, he had such an issue playing Kendrick Bourne. I guess Bourne like talked about his mom or something like that in a practice. I don't know. But Patricia seemed to hate Kendrick Bourne. And there were long stretches where Bourne was effectively a healthy scratch from game to game last season when he was clearly your most dynamic um, pass catcher outside of Jacoby Myers, who has now since moved on to, to Las Vegas. So, Mac was clearly playing with the personnel packages, both protection-wise and from a skill position standpoint, that he was more comfortable than playing with than he had been at any other point this season. And I think that's big for Mac to be able to get the ball out that quickly, albeit his average yards um, of completion was 4.2 yards, but he was letting some of these dyna more dynamic playmakers on your roster make the plays that they needed to. He was making strong decisions. He was going with his, like you said, he was going through his progression of going with his first or second read, but making those decisions quickly. And I think this, this is the formula for the Patriots offense to improve and continue to be competitive throughout the season. Mac unloading quickly, having weapons that he can trust, but first and foremost, this team establishing the run to open up the limited portions of the field that Mac has the ability to hit. He's not going to push the ball downfield like Tua or Josh Allen, but if you can utilize the other dimensions of your offense to open up various levels of the field for him that he can exploit, it makes him an effective chain mover, which is something that you guys have lacked really going back to last season and some of his regression under Patricia. I, I would be so bold as to say 
this is probably his best game, I would say, since his rookie season. I know statistically he's had some good games for you guys last year, despite the Matt Patricia stuff, including some games against us. But I would say from a holistic standpoint, with not just his numbers, Brandon, um, but with his progressions, with his um, exploitation of certain areas of the field, and just picking on the obvious weaknesses in this defense. I mean, we benched Dorian Williams because Mac Jones was making him look foolish in coverage. We went to Tyrell Dotson, who is a substandard athlete. We benched, we basically didn't play Kair Elam, our former number one draft pick and most athletic cornerback, because we were afraid how he would get exploited in this game. All of those things, a credit to O'Brien and for developing a great game plan to pick on our weaknesses, but Jones for exploiting them in a way that he hasn't been able to. So yeah, man, I'm I'm absolutely with you on on a lot of this reasoning. Um, if I could, let me kick you some reasoning from from the Bills side as well. And I'm going to start on the defensive side of the ball. And this is this is going to sound like a cop out, but it's not. I think the injuries on the defensive side of the ball for the Bills are a little bit too much for them to overcome at this particular point. No, I think you're you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. So Daquan Jones being out for an undetermined amount of time, Matt Milano being out for what we hope won't be the full season, but looks like it's going to be the full season. Um, and even Dorian Williams playing so well as a replacement linebacker for Matt Milano, we saw from this game he's got a lot of room for growth. Now, I disagree with McDermott's um, decision to bench Williams, which he did in favor of Terrell Dodson. We all we all know as Bills Mafia who Terrell Dotson is. He's unathletic. He's a replacement player at best. And he's a guy that you use to spell your second stringer, not a guy you use to replace your first stringer. So, and he is weak, weak sauce in pass coverage. Now, there are a couple of counterplays that um in the run game that you guys broke out that I think really exploited Williams' aggressiveness on defense because he likes to make one quick decision and then trust his athletic ability to get him to the point of attack. And you guys ran some pretty effective counters in play action that made him bite early and caught him way out of position, which was the reason that McDermott ended up benching him. Um, it was it was overall good scheming that took advantage, and again, there's nothing wrong with this, that took advantage of all the injuries and as a result, all of the weaknesses that are left on what is a very depleted Bills defensive unit. Um, Brandon, do you want to hear an absolutely disgusting stat on the Bills defense? Would you like to? That would be delicious. W would you like to revel in this moment, sir? <laughs> so here it is. So the Buffalo Bills uh, heading into uh, week six were a top five team in defensive DVOA. So they were number five in the league. And this was after them sustaining some of these injuries. After this Patriots game, do you want to know where they are DVOA-wise in the league right now for the season? I, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat. They are 13th, my friend. 13th. <laughs> Y'all knocked us back five straight ranks in DVOA, which is supposed to be a, a longer-term metric for how good your defense is. We are now fending off our defensive competition from this, this upcoming week, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, by one position point. They're 12th. We are 13th. It's just, it's a crazy fall from grace from a defensive unit that I am old enough to remember shutting down the Miami Dolphins and winning that game like 
48 to 21 or some absurd margin. So, so it, the Buffalo Bills defense and the injuries, again, sounding like a cop-out is a big reason why we lost this game, but credit to your crew for exploiting those weaknesses in an appropriate fashion and figuring out how to play that chess match of getting your talent open and finding those deficiencies in our defensive plan. Credit to you guys, seriously. I I I would say truly this was an upset victory, right? Like Absolutely. The Bills, the Bills should have won this game. I, I think most people were probably banking on the Bills winning this game. And I totally agree. This was Max's best outing in a very, very long time. Easily. I, I also think at the same time, it was not a great day for Josh Allen. And even with those two factors, like Mac Jones playing his best, Josh Allen maybe not having a great day, um, the game was still really close. Like I know it was it was a nail biter for the last five minutes. And if it wasn't, I, I believe it was a third and eight. Um, Mac completed a pass to Hunter Henry to extend that drive. Um, like if it wasn't for that play, you guys would have won. So it it really was that close, and I don't, I I truly don't think, with everything that we've seen at this point, um, I I don't have faith that this is sustainable. Like, you know, we've been watching, or I've been watching Mac for um, the last three years, and I I don't think this is going to be the brand. I think this was a special day for him, and uh, those are going to be few and far between. Yeah, that's um that is far more rational and objective than I I thought you would be. I, I'm I am old enough to remember um sportscasters on like Fox Sports One and ESPN after the Patriots had gone through in Mac Jones rookie year, like that seven or eight game win streak against a depleted schedule. And they they were calling Mac baby goat, right? Baby goat. <laughs> I thought for sure you were gonna bring the baby goat talk back, but uh No. Yeah, no, no, I pre no. I appreciate the objectivity. But this game, I think for you guys, it really encapsulates what Belichick was hoping to achieve with the limited pieces on this offensive roster and why bringing in someone like Bill O'Brien to scheme up for it was a was a, not a genius move, but I would say a stabilizing move in the arc of Mac Jones' development. Could, he have, could Belichick have done more to bring in some offensive pieces? Absolutely, right? Belichick, the GM. But the scheme in and of itself, like this is the, the pilot episode of what you guys want to do to competition moving forward. You want your best five offensive linemen out there, which because of injury you haven't had the benefit from. You want to be able to ha establish the run game effectively enough to where those RPOs and some of that play action the Mag was doing in this game has some efficacy against the opponent to at least make them think twice. When you guys, when I look at game film of how teams had been playing you guys this year, no one thought Mac could go to the boundaries and no one was worried about your run game. Everyone was pinning their ears back and going after Mac and they were getting him off platform. He had the cleanest pocket I think I've seen Mac have in a really long time. Part of it was the quick time to throw. But part of it was the upgrade and protection that you guys got, again, by finding this combo of offensive linemen to run the scheme that you want to. So I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you to some extent. Mac is really limited. 
but I think against the right teams. And I think Miami is one of those teams because they've got similar deficiencies on defense. They've got some injuries that they're dealing with right now. Their uh, linebacking core is banged up and not great. They're not great at defending the middle of the field, and they're very susceptible to the run. I could see a game plan like this working to great effect against Miami for you guys next week. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting that Miami these last two weeks is sort of showing a little bit that they are not actually uh, superhumans. They are just normal, normal human athletes. They, don't beat, they can't beat anybody good. <laughs> they can't beat anybody good. I, and I love Mike McDaniel. If you've listened to any episodes, Brandon, me and JJ gush over his nerddom. We love this dude. But the reality is, is that their offensive scheme has been shut down by good defenses. And you guys have a good defense. Um, I wanted to to ask you a couple of questions, um, get your sense of um, just thoughts on the offensive side of the ball for the Bills. Uh, Diggs perfect. had perfect, <laughs> perfect lead in to where my next two points on where this game went wrong. Go ahead. So um, Diggs is obviously the all star all star wide receiver, um, 12 targets, only six receptions and his um, season lowest in yards at 58. Then you have Kincaid, who went eight for eight um, oh and a really, spot. well, uh, Cook uh, with three for three receptions in the air um, and the combined rushing, he was over 100 scrimmage yards. So I thought he was looking really good. And as you know, I have Cook on my fantasy team and I was pretty happy with that performance. Yep. So we, and, he had, and he had the tutty. He got the tutty for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how come Diggs was so ineffective? Um, but Kincaid and Cook both had pretty good outings. So I think this is a strategy we've seen Belichick deploy in the past, um, which is he wants to bracket digs. Belichick defensively wants to take away your best weapon, and he wants to make you play left-handed. And the Buffalo Bills, over the past few years, have failed to establish a reliable number two pass catcher that warrants any type of attention outside of digs. Everybody knows, because Josh says it in the post game, that Diggs is his number one read. Everyone also knows that Dorsey, as you should for your number one wide receiver, has a lot of plays schemed up for Diggs. When Diggs is bracketed and ultimately taken out of the equation, def opposing defenses still have the luxury of getting pressure on Josh with a five or six man blitz without having to worry about losing coverage on the back end. Because outside of Kincaid, who's a dynamic zone beater, they don't have a lot of guys that can beat man. And you guys play a ton of man, right? You guys play a ton of man. Um, and JC Jackson was oftentimes left out there on an island with one of your guys' safeties uh, coming over the top to assist on digs. And that was enough to take him out of the equation. It didn't stop Josh from forcing the ball to, to digs, um, as he has been known to do in high-pressure situations. But I think when you take away Josh's first read, there's not a lot of confidence in a lot of these second options. We we ran through this stat, um, JJ and I did in the pregame. Josh Allen's QBR when throwing to Stefan Diggs heading into week seven was ninety was uh, ninety seven. His his passer rating um, above average is considered a hundred, so he's right right there close to above average. All other targets was a fifty six rating. So part of it is like the Gabe Davis drops, which are are still a problem. The Dawson Knox drops, which are still a problem, not yet really trusting or having rapport with Kincaid, 
And the Bills are just slow to onboard weapons to this offense generally. We saw this in the the spurts two years, two or three years ago when Emmanuel Sanders came on board. Um, we're now seeing it with Sherfield and Deontay Hardy and the struggles to get them involved. So basically, teams can take away digs, and then it is a 50-50 proposition about whether or not the Bills will be able to successfully use their other weapons. Add to the fact that the pressure packages that Belichick was bringing in this game were very, very good. There were so many free runners coming at Allen in this game, Brandon, that that, uh, there were points where I'm like, is Josh just, is he just missing protections at this point? Like, is he missing the protection call out? Because I could see some of it on the broadcast. And when you can see it on the broadcast, you know it's a problem. But I'm like, they're bringing pressure over here. (laughs) Oh, this safety is now up in the box. They're bringing pressure this way, right? So I was seeing a lot of these, like they weren't even, they weren't even delaying pressure a lot of times. They were just bringing straight pressure on Josh and he was having a really hard time picking it up pre-snap. So you take away digs, you bring in well-timed pressure on Josh and it caught him off platform. His average time to throw in this game was the longest of the week at 3.26 seconds, which means he was running for his life out of the pocket like it was last season and he was looking for any open targets. Now, in fairness, there were points where Josh missed a lot of open reads. He missed them last week in the Giants game too, where James Cook was running free on a couple of different play series. Um, So Josh was missing some of his open receivers. But when you get Josh off platform, yes, he is deadly, but then he also gets tunnel vision. And he looks for digs. He looks for knocks. He might occasionally look for Davis if Davis isn't running a clear out. None of those options were available. So Josh had to improv quite considerably. It wasn't until the second half when the Bills finally adjusted. Dalton Kincaid gets involved in some design zone beaters and then the time to throw plummets. So Brandon on on um, throws that took Josh less than 2.5 seconds, he was 14 of 15 in this game. All other throws, he was over three and a half seconds. And he was uh, all other throws that he was over three and a half seconds on, his completion percentage dropped down to near 50%. So by making Josh overthink it and taking away his first read, Belichick um, schemed up a really good defense to get him off platform and take away some of those improvisational skills and throws that Josh brings to bear so effectively. Yeah, I, I feel like as well, one of... Josh Allen's superpowers is his feet and his his ability to scramble and get uh, downfield. And you're, make... you're like reading my mind. Just so everybody <laughs> knows, Brandon has not seen my show notes, but he's perfectly leading in to all of my points <laughs> on why the Bills lost this game. Yeah. So so talk to me about that. I mean, again, that's fr- I'll talk about the fantasy football side of it. You know, you, you <laughs> love a quarterback that rushes the ball well, and Josh Allen is one of the best at it. Um, but I don't think we saw that on full display in this game. Oh, you sure didn't. And I got more stats for you. So we're going to take a look at the splits here from the first five games of the season or for the first four games of the season um, to the last three games of the season. So his splits on rushing the football. Oh, God, it's so it's so terrible and depressing and it's awful and I hate it. All right, here we go. So Josh, early on this season, games one through four was averaging six yards a carry six yards a carry on about 16 attempts 
over the last few weeks where the Bills have had some of these difficulties in, in um, winning football games, that yards per carry average has dropped to 3.23 yards on average. Um, and they are one in two, Brandon, in those games where Josh is just not taking away these chunk yards. A couple of different reasons. One, there is a big there is a big sense in Buffalo that Josh needs to protect himself more, which is true. Last season, he was injured. He had the uh, UCL injury to his elbow, which he got in the pocket, not rushing the football, by the way. Uh, QBs get hurt in the pocket by bad offensive linemen, not not often rushing the football when they're prepared for contact. But that being a, that aside, Bean, McDermott were very public in telling Josh to be smarter about the way he was choosing his rush attempts. They also, over the last three weeks, have pretty much eliminated any designed Josh Allen run plays. So you can see, and this really comes to bear on second and long plays, they do not fear the Buffalo Bills running the ball on second and long plays. You still have a lot of teams that are playing a cover uh, cover two high shell, daring them to dink and dunk and throw the ball, daring them to run the ball. But the Buffalo Bills over the last three weeks effectively scheming out the Josh Allen design run is now an, an element in a multiplicity that other teams don't need to worry about. So on second and long, teams are pinning their ears back. And you guys were a perfect example of this. They're bringing pressure in those early down sets. They are, um, they are uh, deploying a great amount of run blitzes as well just to make the pocket messy for Josh. And he is not taking the opportunity when he sees open holes and open windows to rush the ball and gain some of that chunk yardage last season with his own feet that made them so effective on second and third down. Josh throwing the ball on first down has been an absolute animal. And this game was no different. In the first half, Josh, uh, Josh's efficiency on first down was incredible. He threw for an average on first down of about six yards per play. The problem came on second down uh, and second and long situations where the Bills on second down averaged 1.1 yards per play. Add to that, Five of their nine total penalties in this game came on third down. All of a sudden, you're putting the Buffalo Bills in third and long situations, which no one wants to be in. But they are becoming, without this Josh Allen option to run, way more predictable, particularly in their second down. So even if the Bills are gaining chunk yardage on first down, teams are locking them down on second down and putting them in really problematic situations on third down as a result. Add in some sloppy play, a false start here, an offensive holding penalty here, and all of a sudden you've got the recipe for an inefficient Buffalo Bills offense. Now, I'm not saying the lack of a Josh Allen run game is responsible for all of that. A lot of that is player execution and coaching, particularly on the penalty side of the ball, but they are taking away things that may give an element of unpredictability and explosiveness to this Bills offense that has existed in years past. And as a result, and again, you're seeing it statistically on second down. Teams are effectively making the Bills play with one arm tied behind their their back on second down, and the Bills are inviting it by not allowing any of this Josh Allen to use his full physical tools. It's a great observation. And that, that to me, is where the coaching conversation comes into play. Now, there's a lot of Bills fans, Brandon, that are happily calling for Ken Dorsey's head on a platter if the Bills don't win this Thursday night game against the Buccaneers. I will say... Blame belongs at Dorsey's feet for a lot of different things. The failure to adjust in quarter or in series to what the defense is doing 
those free rushers that I told you about that the, the New England Patriots were giddily throwing at Josh, that's a failure of calling the protection at line of scrimmage, which means one of two things. Either Josh is completely missing at pre-snap or, and what is more likely, is that Dorsey is not giving Allen enough hot route options to mitigate the blitz. Now, you saw that change in the second half after they got the ability to go into the locker room and figure some stuff out. But Dorsey, as a play caller, needs to recognize those things in series and in quarter and give his star QB those options right away to adjust to what the defense is throwing at them. And Dorsey is really, really poor at doing that. Same thing with with scheduling out some of these um, designed offensive plays. If the Bills are going to take away unpredictability and multiplicity from some of their offensive sets, especially now with Dawson Knox now being hurt and our ability to run 12 personnel almost going out the window completely, they need another element of unpredictability somewhere. And Josh's legs and raw athleticism are the best place to get it if they've got the courage and the willingness to schedule it back into the playbook. I I also, to just to add to that, I, I think Dawson Knox being out for an extended period of time, um, reports say he's going to have to get surgery, gives uh, Kincaid really a unique opportunity to kind of shine here. Amen. Yeah, and normally rookie tight ends often don't have a good first season, but I think... You know, Kincaid looks really, really nice. Eight for eight is not uh, something I would bat an eye at. And um, yeah, interesting to see if that sort of trend continues with the Knox injury. So Yeah, and, and you never want to see a player go down. But I think Josh and Knox are very close. And Josh, Josh and his improvisational style will go to Knox in a lot of key moments. We saw it in the Giants game on that fourth and fourth and eight, I think it was, where Knox dropped the ball. We saw a couple of big drops from Knox in this game as well. I love Dawson Knox. I think he's an absolute athletic specimen, but he is not the pass catcher that Dalton Kincaid is. But because there is rapport with him and Josh, Josh has a comfortability going to him that he does not have to other guys on the roster. So again, never want to see a guy get hurt, but I think a silver lining to Knox's recovery period is that Josh is going to have to get comfortable using some of these other weapons as his third option outside of Diggs and outside of Davis. And I think Kincaid has a real opportunity to shine if, and only if, Dorsey is appropriately recognizing where Kincaid can be a safety valve, especially in beating some of these zone pressure looks the teams are rolling out there against the Buffalo Bills. So Brandon, that pretty much wraps up all my points. Is there anything you want to you wanna add in summation and glorious victory here before we uh before we part ways um the only thing i want to say is nana nana boo boo stick your head in <laughs> you suck <laughs> you've been waiting the whole episode to do that oh man well listen brandon thank you very much for joining us thank you for keeping the gloating to a minimum um and you know while i am while i'm sorry that your team has had a couple of losing seasons here back to back just remember where i come from sir you may have adopted the darkness, but I was born into it. So I know very well what these times feel like. Um, and and I have no sympathy for you at all. <laughs> and uh, we will be seeing each other again in week 17. New I Year's believe. Eve. Big yeah. New Year's Eve game. So, 
a lot's going to change between now and then. So, so curious what the what the rematch is going to be like. Well, the rematch is going to be in Buffalo, and if the Bills don't win that game fifty to nothing, and like a repeat of the perfect wild card game in in sub sub zero degree weather, I'm going to be very disappointed if it's anything else. But we'll bring it back closer to do the pregame for that. We got some uh, we got some time to sue over this, but enjoy your bragging rights for the next 12, 10 weeks or so, sir. You have definitely earned it. And for all for all of you listening at home, like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Google, Apple, Spotify. Um, and a special programming note this week, we'll be dropping back-to-back episodes, one on Tuesday evening, and then another one on Wednesday. So you're going to get our our uh, post-game recap of the Pats game here with Brandon, dropped to you on Tuesday evening. And then Wednesday night, you're going to get our pre-game look at the Thursday night primetime game between the Buffalo Bills and the Buccaneers. Thanks again for listening, and as always, go Bills.